This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Oh, yes. Welcome to Lake Kickers Live. It is Sunday night, February 5th, year of our Lord, 2023. He hired Hoomst. Hoomst did Nick Saban hire. Well, it just happened. So chances are some of you who have been out and about on this beautiful don't even know we have a new defensive coordinator hired to talk about. We're jam-packed high atop a temperate, as I said, really nice weather today, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, they got a new defensive coordinator at Alabama. It's not who you thought it would be. It's just not. So don't pose, because I'm not going to pose tonight, and I suggest that you don't do that either. Uh, we're also going to change college football history this evening in possibly one of the most provocative, challenging but maybe rewarding exercises of our time. I challenged you guys earlier today, pick some moments out. In the history of this game, pick some moments out. Just change that moment. Which ones would have the biggest impact on the overall sport? And we got we got tens of thousands of submissions. So you, you guys had some free time on your hands today. I'm a little, you know, I'm all over the place with my papers right now because they're still hot, even though these are handwritten. Uh, figuratively, they're still hot off the presses because we've got news happening. That's why we don't take an off-season around here. Uh, one of you asked me to talk about mock drafts. This is not an NFL show. We don't traffic in that. However, they are still technically our kids until we legally have to hand them over to the NFL. I'm not doing a mock draft tonight. I am, however, going to take the risk-free approach of responding to and maybe even reacting to a mock draft or two because I got some thoughts on some guys. So, We've got a ton to get to on this Sunday evening. They're watching us in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Lexington, Oklahoma, Springville, Utah, Satellite Beach, Florida. Thank you so much. You guys hear that tick-tock, tick-tock, not the app. We're not messing with those folks right now. Nope, I don't. we got a roof over our head, so we're not being spied upon. But Late Kick Extra is coming back in 48 hours or maybe even less, I guess, depending on time of day. You asked for it. Producer Jesse badgered me about it. Director Colin just gave me that look that let me know he wants it back. And Late Kick Extra is coming back. Tuesday, look in your podcast feed. Don't be coming over to the YouTube channel and saying, where is it? Because remember, we're shifting our format now. So it's Sunday and Thursday for Late Kick Live. Sunday, Thursday. Tuesday, we're still doing something. It's just different than what we do during the regular season. And it will be podcast only, and it'll be wall-to-wall Q&A. I'll put out the tweet tomorrow morning. You can send me all your questions, and it's very fun. It's, it's every, apparently, it's everybody's favorite exercise and format that we do. So just keep an eye on that podcast feed. Make sure you're following over there as well. All right, let's dive in. We have some news. Uh, the earliest sip I've ever taken from the chalice will be taken right now. 
And thankfully, it's not because I have vocal issues. It's just because I'm having a little bit of a difficult time reading what's written on this piece of paper in front of me. But here we go. Chris Lowe, about an hour and a half ago, report Nick Saban is hiring Kevin Steele as his defensive coordinator at Alabama. Let me repeat, because I see a lot of your faces out there. That Kevin Steele, yep, that one, that one, he's being hired as the defensive coordinator at Alabama. To recap, Nick Saban has hired a 30-year-old offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator with 39 years coaching experience. So, taste every bit of the rainbow in Tuscaloosa, Alabama right now. Am I surprised? Uh, Well, 48 hours I would have been. This kind of started bubbling, at least as far as I think credibility is concerned. It started bubbling about the past 48, 72 hours. It was a name always on the periphery. I've got a thought why the name has been on the periphery to begin with. I, I, quite frankly, I've got a thought as to why I think Nick Saban hired him. But first, we just need to take it in together. If you're a Georgia fan, quite frankly, if you're a Georgia fan, you may look at this and you may chuckle a little bit. I understand where you guys are coming from. If you're an Alabama fan, you're probably slightly to moderately puzzled. I know that the iJosh's battery is running precariously low because some of you have just let it be known to me. You flat out don't like the hire. Again, we're not going to go through Kevin Steele's entire tenure because it's it's going to be about a three-hour long show if we did that, but he's been coaching for 39 years. Again, just for emphasis, let me remind you, Saban just hired an offensive coordinator that's 30 years old. Kevin Steele's been at it for 39 years Here's what happens anytime Nick Saban does anything. It doesn't matter if he makes moves that otherwise people would disapprove of. People have the tendency to just blindly trust Nick Saban. I am one of those people, mind you. So we, we people, we the people have a tendency sometimes to explain away or even just blindly trust some decisions that, you know, if if Dave Aranda made or if Mike Gundy made, we would say... Is he crazy? Well, maybe, maybe not. So there are some things being said. Having admitted that, there's some things being said right now that I'm not necessarily buying. I asked producer Jesse a second ago, hey, just without knowing anything more than you know, try to explain this to me. I asked him if he was impressed with the hire. He said, not particularly. I said, okay, what do you think Nick Saban's doing? And he said, it feels to me like he's trying to get back to his old comfort level, right? And there is a thing to be said about comfort level. Then again, some of the most successful people in the world, Saban being one of them, would be the first to preach to you. When you're comfortable, you're getting left behind. So I sat there for about 15 minutes. We got a dark room in here. I believe it's a lactation room, but we don't use it as such. And I went in the lactation room a second ago, and I just sat there in the dark, and I just chewed on that idea. Comfort level comfort level. And then I walked out of the lactation room and I said, nope, I'm rejecting that entirely. He's not trying to get comfortable. I think what he may be trying to do is bide his time. You could sell me on that. He's not trying to get comfortable. Uh, You could also sell me, and I'm actually buying this part. You could also sell me that he has looked at the landscape of college football, and I think it helps to see what Georgia just did and understand we don't necessarily need to reinvent anything here. In fact, we may need to strip some things out and we may need to go back to doing some things philosophically the way they have been proven to work here before. You could sell me on that. You're just not selling me that with all of the resources and options at Nick Saban's disposal, Kevin Steele's the guy with no conditions tied to it 
that he looked at and said, he's who I want to run my defense. You won't sell me on that. That's why I use the word conditions. If you see me, and it, well, you know what? Let me, let me go hypothetical on you. If I'm loaded, if I'm a seven-figure-per-year guy and I wreck my car and you see me driving my Toyota Camry up in your driveway, there's a reason I'm in that Camry. And it's not because I just decided to downgrade from Mercedes to Camry. It's because it's a rental. And it's because you're probably going to see me in something brand spanking new two or three weeks from now. And it very well may be that that's what we're looking at at Alabama. Now, not two or three weeks from now. So forget the figurative timeline there. But there is no way that you're convincing me that there are no conditions. There are no caveats. There's nothing Nick Saban knows that we don't know. This is just as it appears. Nick Saban all options on the table, has decided 39-year veteran of the industry, Kevin Steele, is the guy of all guys to lead his defense. That you won't sell me on. So what are the conditions? That's where we get to baselessly and wildly speculate because I know that he likes that so much. Um, Jeremy Pruitt's name's been thrown around a lot. I have no clue what's going to happen with him. For the record, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt knows what's going to happen with him when it comes to the NCAA. I think it is roundly understood at this point to be the sticking point as to why he's not already the defensive coordinator at Alabama. So then the natural follow-up is, well, when will they know? Well, isn't that a great question? And if he is your future guy, who are you going to put in that spot in the meantime? I'm going to let you put two and two together there. But it's not a guarantee that's the case. I am, I am fully admitting to you, I'm throwing out some hypotheticals now. But if I had Jeremy Pruitt in my back pocket and I just didn't know when I could pull him out and use him, this is what I would do. How about this, though? If I just hired an up-and-comer like Austin Armstrong from Southern Miss, who's very highly thought of in the industry but is still very young, and I just didn't think he was quite ready to run my defense yet, but I'm going to put him as my linebacker's coach and I think extremely highly of him in his future, this also could be what I'd do. My point there is if you go back through the 39 years Kevin Steele's been in this industry... Jesse was showing me a little while ago. He walked up to me and said, look how rarely Steele has stayed in the same place more than three years. I know this won't be any different, at least in this role. But then we get to the other natural follow-up, and that is, is Nick Saban going to coach until he's 114 years old? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, the, 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 I guess the working theory amongst most everyone is when you ask, hey, how long does Nick Saban have left? Everyone says, oh, it's not going to be tomorrow. But it won't be too far down the road. Now, I have tended to think it's a little bit further down the road than maybe you think it is on average, just you being a generality there. Uh, but even I don't think he's going to make it to 114 years old. So sometime between now and 2050, whatever that would be, um, Nick Saban's going to go work for a TV network. And so I, I don't know how long into the future he's looked here. I, I am very aware, keenly aware, at what a job at Alabama means in the coaching industry because I talked to him. You know, I had one a uh, few months ago who you would know who is at a major university, a place you would think this person is fixed, a place that, that you only think this person would leave for a head coaching job. And he said that exact thing to me. Only way I'm leaving here is for a head coaching job. But he didn't put a period on the end of the sentence. He said, or if Alabama calls. That's how that job and working for that man is thought of in the coaching industry. So the other thing you won't sell me on is, well, this is just all he had left. This is the only options. Todd Grantham randomly tucked away in Tuscaloosa. 
Uh, he interviewed for the job reportedly, didn't get it, so he moves on. Todd Grantham would have been a completely underwhelming hire. So my point is, when you keep hearing all the options and they're all underwhelming, it stands to reason there's probably a condition on the table that the top candidates were not really necessarily willing to jive with, or Nick Saban didn't even bother offering those candidates this job because he himself understood where he's going with the role of defensive coordinator at Alabama. So I think that there is plenty beneath the surface. We don't know it. Uh, he is notoriously tight-lipped about this stuff and will remind you of such anytime that you speculate publicly about it. So I'm just going to say this. I think there's more to it than meets the eye. And I think in time, it will be made apparent to everyone who pays close attention to the program. Until then, get ready for some really, really whacked out headlines over the next 72 hours because it is the middle of February. It is a dead season for content creation. And you're going to have some folks like piranhas to a zebra's carcass. And we all know how frequently I use that metaphor. They're going to pounce on this thing. And, and you're going to hear some wild stuff said about Nick Saban and Kevin Steele and the like. And I just wanted to get out here and I just wanted to tamper things a little bit. Or I guess it's not tamper. That wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be the right word. Tamp things, yeah. It's that, it's that tool that you use to tamp down the pitching mound after a game. I always drew that duty, by the way. I don't know why. All right, let's move on. Uh, fascinating, though. I don't know how in the world you can bet on professional wrestling, but you can't bet on coordinator hires. And that's a fully true statement, by the way. You could bet on Royal Rumble last week, Jesse tells me, and Belchie tells me, but I can't bet on who's going to be the defensive coordinator at Alabama. I would have lost money on both, but that's not the point. Um, so I move on. Okay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. So earlier today, I was talking to someone on the phone, and it's completely irrelevant to where we're about to go, but this is how it happened. I was talking to someone on the phone, and they mentioned a, a, a play. I think we were talking about the Miami-Ohio State game back in 02, and uh, the pass interference that was called, and Ohio State gets a fresh set of downs, and they win the national championship, and basically it was that age-old, what would have happened if, which is fun and maddening a little bit because you can't know uh, and that doesn't matter because, like I said, it's February. We can do whatever we want to. We have the freedom. I was talking, related note, I was talking to another person, another name you would know very well, actually, the other day. He said, you know what I think? I think I like your shows in February more than I like them in October. And I said, thanks, I think. What, what does this mean? He said, no, 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 no. 
It's just that you're talking about the same stuff everyone else would during the season. Obviously, you're talking about the games. But when you get into February, the show, there's no telling where the show's going to go. True. And here's where it's going tonight. I asked you guys today, give me one moment that you would love to change in the history of college football that you think would have the maximum impact on the sport. And I had like three in my head, but you guys brought like 300 to me. And uh, over the course of the afternoon, it's really blown up. But there's only one place for me to start here because the most vivid memory I have of one of those seminal moments in college football is 2011. And I was in a movie theater when it happened. I was watching Jay Edgar. And it was a Friday night. LSU was the number one team in the country. Alabama had lost to LSU already. Game of the century, mind you. And we were on a collision course for Mike Gundy's Oklahoma State Cowboys to meet LSU down in New Orleans for a national championship, except that no one told Iowa State. And so you know how this went down. Oklahoma State goes up there. Oh, it's tied. End of regulation. Field goal to win it and stay undefeated. It's up. To me, it still looks good. But hey, they called it no good. Paul Rhodes and the, at that point, four and four Iowa State Cyclones take it to overtime. They win it in overtime. What if I change this? What if I, what if I just brush this kick uh, like three micro inches inside the upright and it's good? Oklahoma State stays undefeated. Obvi. They go on to boat raise Oklahoma like they did anyway. There is no Big 12 championship game that year. They're in. They're in the national championship game. They play LSU. Okay? Full butterfly effect. Okay? Ashton Kutcher style. Amy Smart, great in that movie too. Uh, Louis Lastic, little disappointed in him. Follow me here for a second. Because obviously this has ramifications at Oklahoma State, but that's not what I asked. I asked for a circumstance changing a moment that would just have a ripple effect uh, the likes of which would impact the entire sport. Well, this impacts the entire sport. Number one, I don't take it for granted that I know how the national championship game would have even turned out. Now, if Mike Gundy got a national championship, it would have been huge. LSU would have been the solid favorite. That game was in New Orleans. Remember, it ended up being Bama and LSU, and, and LSU just no-showed the game. They barely crossed the 50 until late in the fourth quarter. That was a very good Alabama defense, but ugh, it was so bad. There are people down in the boot who are firmly convinced that there was something nefarious about the game. On their own side, friendly nefariosity, if you will, as Meemaw would say. I'm not here to tell you I have evidence one way or the other on that, but what I am here to tell you is if that LSU team showed up against Oklahoma State, they would have towed it to L that night too. Oklahoma State would have beat them. I have no clue how it would have turned out. I'm not even really here to tell you I'm interested in who would have won the national championship, although I am. What I'm interested in is, number one, you've, you've got the Bama thing there, but I think Bama would have been fine. They would have just gone on to regroup. They won it the next year. Who knows what they would have done, but I, they would have been fine. What would it have done to college football in the way of the four-team playoff? Because this is widely looked at. This Bama LSU National Championship game is widely viewed as the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the breaking of the dam that paved the way for the four-team playoff. Because up until that point, the BCS had its detractors. Me not being one of them. God bless you, BCS. But a lot of people were detractors, and they didn't necessarily like that there were computers involved. 
you remember, if you're old enough, you remember what the, the cries against the BCS were. But what it had never given us until that point was, number one, a, a rematch from the same division and obviously, therefore, a matchup of teams from the same conference. Then it gave it. Then it gave it. There in 2011, we got that SEC versus SEC. I agreed that it was the right matchup. Some people didn't. Whatever. It wasn't too long after that that we found out, hey, come 2014, I think it was, the 2014 season, we've got a four-team college football playoff coming. Now, I think that what the situation in reality was, was just like it's been with the 12-team playoff, there were a lot of people in the room who realized we're making pretty good money right now in college football, but we could make even better money. And we can convince all the people over here it's in their best interest. They'll go along with it. Trust me, they'll go along with it. And they were right. And I was one of them at the time. So I went along with it. I can't, I can't knock you guys because I was, I, was, I was a clapping seal too. Give me the playoff. Give me the playoff. And um, I think that would have won out regardless. I just don't know that it would have happened as quickly. But when you got that SEC versus SEC, yeah. So anyway, we hit the rewind button. Just, we go all the way back to Ames, Iowa that night. What if they make that field goal? And by the way, yours truly, as I said, in a movie theater uh, with, with a lovely young lady. And no attention was paid to her the rest of the night. When the iJosh, which was in its infancy, it was like an iJosh 1 that night. But when it started going off, there was no movie. There was no her. There was just, what is happening to my sport? That should tell you, by the way, what I thought of that game and what I thought of Oklahoma State's chances to lose that night. I wasn't watching. I went to the movies to see a movie I could have seen any time. I still haven't watched it again, though, strangely. I think I know what I need to know about Jay Edgar. Probably should. Even now, I should probably still say that on the low. Uh, but, yeah, so the first thing that came to my mind was Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Now, I'm not done, but I am going to give Colin time to reset. They're watching us in Battle Creek, Michigan, home of Rob Van Dam. They're watching us in Hodges, Alabama. Don't know who's from there, but thank you, Hodges. And they're watching us in Reno, Nevada. And by the way, wherever you're watching, yeah, a lot of you are watching live. Uh, wherever you're watching, could be the replay tomorrow. Just do me a favor. You know what the favor is. Should I even finish the sentence? I think I should. Some of you may be new here. I just need you to click the thumbs up button. Like. That's what they would say on the streets. Like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Uh, like uh, a, a, a shamefully low number of you have liked the video so far. And I feel like we've put out a good product thus far this evening. I'm going to take a ceremonial sip from the chalice. Sip for likes here. As I said, I put out that tweet earlier today. And we got a ton of submissions. And uh, I think that we're going to do some of these Thursday night. Because I cannot just move on from this with all the great feedback I got today. But there was one that stood out. Colin, I think here will be a good endpoint for you. Changing one moment in college football history to impact the entire sport. A lot of you couldn't help but go to 2012. And frankly, my mind went there pretty quickly too. Because we're trying to have a big impact on the sport. Well, what happened in 2012? Well, Mark Richt is at Georgia. Saban's, of course, at Alabama. They play in the SEC championship game. Now, young JP is, is holding it down in Columbus, well, just north of Columbus in Fortson. And so we're right on the border. We're right on the Chattahoochee River. 
And uh, so it's it's like a, a dream scenario down there around where I'm from. Anytime either Auburn in Georgia or Bama in Georgia are playing, it's just so crazy that time of week and that time of year. And they play in the SEC championship game. And it's a it's an instant classic going back and forth. I think Georgia had a 21 to 10 lead after a block punt at one point. So anyway, Bama takes the lead 32-28. McCarron to Amari Cooper, big time touchdown. Aaron Murray's driving the dogs down the field and they get down inside the 10-yard line. There's 15 seconds to go. And you remember what happened? Yeah, no, maybe some of you are young. Well, the clock's running and Georgia's not spiking it and Murray looks out wide, ball's tipped, falls to the ground. Robert Lester makes the tackle there and Georgia's five yards away from the end zone. Clock runs out. Crimson and white confetti falls to the Georgia Dome, the late Georgia Dome. God bless the Georgia Dome too. And there goes Alabama off to splatter Notre Dame all over Miami for a national championship. What if I change that? What if I change that moment? What if I what if I clock the ball? What if the ball falls incomplete? What if Georgia has one more play and they they throw it to the end zone, touchdown, dogs win? There are a few truths and few certainties in this world, but I feel pretty darn certain that Georgia would have handled business against Notre Dame. Now I want you to think again. Bama's on the other side of this equation somehow. They're fine. This wouldn't have impacted Alabama in my mind very much at all. But what would it have done for Georgia? Because Mark Richt was out of there. Three years later, 13, 14, 15, I think 16. Yeah, 16 was Smart's first year. So that was 2012. 2015 was the last year for Mark Richt. You're certainly not giving him the boot if he's locked down a national championship. In fact, the entire reason for giving him the boot is the going narrative around him was he's he's good enough to be good, but he's not good enough to make us great. We got to go find the guy who will take us to the next level. And for their credit, they have done that at Georgia. But if they had a national championship in their back pocket, all of a sudden, where's Kirby Smart? Now, I don't think Kirby Smart would have been in Alabama all that much longer than he was anyway. I think Kirby Smart eventually would have taken a head coaching job. It's just that it would have been South Carolina. In fact, I think Georgia, it's pretty well known at this point, Georgia moved when they did because they knew that South Carolina was probably about to get Kirby Smart. Kirby was beyond ready for a head coaching job. He was turning down offers before even that cycle. And so the South Carolina job's available, and it looks like that's going to happen. And Kirby Smart's represented by the right guy. And so Kirby Smart ends up with the head coaching job at Georgia. That job's not coming open. Point blank, I'm telling you, it's not coming open if Georgia were to win that 2012 SEC championship game. So then it could very well be that Kirby Smart just ends up at Georgia some sometime down the road anyway. I don't know what would have happened to Mark Richt, but think about how differently we talk about him. See, right now, Kirby Smart, to me, has already become a legendary figure at Georgia, even though he's, he's not 50 years old yet, because he did the thing that, that hardly anyone else for a few generations could do. No one else could do. That's win the title. He was the first one, post-Dooley, to win the title there. That could have been Mark Richt. It's a game of inches. The margins are so narrow, so thin. In fact, even after that happened, I was in the very infancy of dipping my toe into the water of sports talk radio in Columbus, Georgia at the time. 1580 The Zone. And we, I mean, I can't tell you for how many months afterwards we took calls of people saying, see, that's proof that Mark Rick can't win the big one. And I'm, 
I, that's probably where my philosophy around the difference between can't and haven't was formed. Because even at the time, I mean, I'm, I'm dumb about everything. I'm ignorant to just about everything. Some would argue I still am, but I even I would agree I was at that point. But even I knew, even, even rookie JP knew, he was, he was there. What do you mean he can't? Like, it, because Mark Richt is on the sideline, that ball uh, found its way into a receiver's hands instead of falling. It's just nonsense. That's not the way sports work. And so I remember thinking how dumb that was at that point, but it didn't matter because that was sentiment. And sentiment eventually kind of bleeds up to the decision makers and have long since explained to you how impacted people who make decisions are, especially the ones who claim that that has no impact on their decision. It has all the impact in the world. So those are the two, the first two of many moments that I think we could change in college football. And it would greatly, greatly change. Because not only that, you've then got to ask yourself, how many assistant coaches are impacted by that? How many players that went and played for Georgia in the first years of Kirby Smart otherwise aren't there. Like, how, what would it have done to South Carolina if Kirby took that job instead of taking the Georgia job? All kinds of stuff you can think about. Whew. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on and let's talk about a friend of ours. And by ours, I mean yours, mine, Collins, Jesse's, the PAs, everyone in the building and everyone listening. Academy Sports and Outdoors, that is that friend. You may be looking at yourself saying, self, how much is this going to cost? Because most everything you enjoy costs something, right? Absent sunsets and sunrises, most everything these days costs something. And in this economy, it costs more and more, and you got less and less of it in your pocket. And that's why it is such a godsend for our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors to be along for the ride here. Because they are not the friend who jumps in the car and then mooches everyone else's food and they contribute nothing to the group. Actually, Academy bought the car for us. And then they tell you, hop in. And then you start to say, here, here's some money for gas. No, 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 keep it. You'll need it later. That's Academy. Academy makes the show possible for us, makes the show free for you. And if that's not enough, you go in Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they got a whole lot of stuff that you could use in your day-to-day -day life. And if that's not in your immediate future, if you don't have Academy in your neighborhood, you do have academy.com on the good old-fashioned internet, www. And so make it a point to check out our partners at Academy Sports and Outdoors because they make sure that we get to come to you free of charge, and we appreciate them for that. All right, we do have some news to discuss, I guess some more news to discuss. Uh, a lot of you were interested in this, and I have been as well, so, so let's talk about it here. Oklahoma and Texas, where are they? Well, I'm going to tell you where they are. They're stuck. They're just flat out stuck. There was, a, there was a rumor, you know, there was talk on the streets over the past few months that this whole OU Texas to the SEC thing may happen as soon as next year. And then we waited and we waited and we waited. Some, some amongst us down south even had to change our schedules because we can't be playing a team out of conference that may be coming in the conference sooner than we thought. Well, that was all for naught uh, because reports come out this week at the conclusion of the Big 12 meetings in uh, somewhere in Texas that it's no, it's no go. They're, they're, they're stuck out there. There was a lot of negotiation, a lot of backroom wheeling and dealing, and the net result was nothing's coming from it. They were trying to get them to the SEC earlier, 
And there was a lot of negotiation amongst high-level mustaches at television networks, exchanging inventory. What are you going to give us if we let them out? You need a lot of signatures. You know, you, that's a paper that when you pop it, there have to be a lot of signatures. And it's not just the SEC and the Big 12 commissioner and the president at Texas No You know television partners have to come in the room and say, oh, the contract you signed with us to provide us content that we paid you nine figures for, sure, get out of it early. Oh, what a, you know, what's a few tens of millions here or there? They don't tend to think that way. So in light of that, or I guess in lieu of that, they, they had been negotiating a compensation package. Well, it fell through. They couldn't make it make sense. Dollars and cents. And the net result for those of us who couldn't care less about all that stuff, we're just fans, is they ain't going anywhere into 2025. That means Texas and OU have two more years in the Big 12. I think that this could very well be summed up in a tweet I saw circulating. And uh, that was from Braden Gall. And he said, here's what we have here. I don't want to see you anymore, but we're not moving out. And we're not allowed to see other people. What could go wrong? That's it. That's what's happening with Texas and OU and, and the Big 12. Neither of them want each other anymore, but neither of them are going to move out, but they're not allowed to see other people, and it's just ugh, it's gross. It would work as, as a pilot for a series that I'm going to pitch to Hulu or Netflix. I don't think in the realm of college athletics it's such a healthy thing, and it's a real thing, by the way. You know, these teams have to go on the road, and I think we're still probably underestimating a little bit, although I think they experienced it this past year. I think we're still underestimating a little bit how ugly this gets in the way of Texas and OU going on the road. Not that they ever have it easy, but you know, in years past, you're a little bit more guarded. You know, you're a little bit, would I say professional? You're a little bit more professional in the way you carry yourself when you know they're going to come in here every 24 months. Now it's, we're never going to see them again. How do you act towards people you don't like that you're never going to see again? It's not hard to figure out. And so then times that by, what, uh, five or four, depending on the balance of the conference schedule, that's life on the road for them. The other thing you need to keep in mind uh, that, that everyone's watching behind the scenes, including in the media industry, is realignment's not done. I know I haven't talked to you guys about this in a while. It's only because I don't have anything new on it, but I have conversations about it often. Realignment, conference realignment in college football is not done. College athletics, it's not done. I mean, the Big 12 has been looking at Gonzaga. They don't even play football. There are no Power 5, to my knowledge, there are no Power 5 conferences that have the, the whole basketball only, not a football school thing. I can't remember if there are or not, but it's very rare if it does exist. And so realignment's not done. Now, Dennis Dodd, I need to call him back. My bad, Dennis. Uh, Dennis Dodd has been reporting for a while that Brett Yormack and the Big 12 are interested in what we would call the Four Corners schools. Now, being a weather nerd, I knew what the Four Corners were before I knew how to spell my last name. Is there an accent over the E? Is there not? I don't know. But I knew about the Four Corners region. And in college athletics terms, when we're talking about the Four Corners schools, we're talking about Arizona, Arizona State, and we're talking about Colorado, and we're talking about Utah. And um, where are they going to end up? Because right now, they're out in the Pac-12, and the thinking, if there may be some realignment, is maybe they head over to the Big 12 
which is currently a 14-team league, which would then balloon to 18 unless they wait until after Texas and OU leave, in which case it would make the Big 12, which was formerly 10 teams, a 16-team league. I hope I haven't been unclear. So, I don't know what's going to happen there. And I really don't think the decision makers do either. And then there's this whole other thing where you've got upheaval in the Big 10. This is where it gets really interesting, by the way, really complicated. You've got some upheaval in the Big 10. Who's going to be the new commissioner there? And how aggressive are they going to be? Kevin Warren went after anything that was moving. Oh, well, how aggressive is the new commissioner to be named in the Big Ten going to be when it comes to further expanding the Big Ten footprint? Is Oregon on the table? Is Washington on the table? Is one willing to move without the other? Whomst knows? Maybe Hawaii gets into this for all I know. I think there's a team up in Alaska that has polar bears sometimes surrounding a blue field. Anything and everything is in play at this point. But realignment's not done. So don't get too cozy is all I'm saying, looking at the current lineup of these teams. But as for Texas and OU, you're going to see them play a road game at Florida eventually. It's just not going to be in 2023. And for that matter, it's not going to be in 2024. Bold predictions the other night. Actually, bold predictions the other night went good for me. Bold predictions two shows ago made a fool out of me. And I've been on a little bit of a warpath around the office ever since. And I've told Jesse, because I notoriously like to not look at these until right before the show. And so, you know, Jesse delights in kind of springing on me moments where I look like an idiot. It, it happens to all of us. If we go through prediction season. You know, famously, two shows ago, someone predicted that Texas A&M was going to barely make a bowl game. And I had the good sense in August to say they have a disaster-proof roster. So that's how my February is going so far. With that in mind, bold predictions. What did you predict in August that you claimed you would back with your own hard-earned money? Well, we're starting off on a good note here because Florida State made someone a winner. Austin, to be exact, said Florida State will finish with more than eight wins. You know what? I'm going to stop it there for the sake of Austin. He just said they're going to win more than eight games. Uh, as a matter of fact, FSU went 9-3 and three regular season, 10-3 and three with the bowl win. Really good year for Mike Norvell. And they had those back-to-back-to-back losses to Wake, NC State, and Clemson right there in the middle of the season by 10 points, 2 points, and 6 points, respectively. Florida State's trending in the right direction. Needless to say, we're going to talk about them more Thursday night. There's a little spoiler for you down there in Tallahassee. I had Bryant McFadden texting me last night. BMAC is not a lengthy texter. So he sends me April 5th, excuse me, <clears throat> he sends me a date. We're live. I can't backtrack over that. So if I leaked information, I'm sorry. But he sends me a date. And it could mean anything. But for him to be sending me that date at this very moment in time, I know he probably means that's the FSU spring game and I need to be down there in Tallahassee. And for the record, I may very well be down there because I'm excited uh, for meaningful games to be happening in Doak again. But in the meantime, I put a seven on this prediction. So I didn't think it was the boldest prediction in the world. I, I, was, I was on board. I was cautiously on board. And when they won that LSU game to start the year, then I was really on board. All right, uh, this other one was doomed to failure, but we, we acknowledge it anyway. Brennan said, Bama and Georgia will each have a loss during the month of September. This, of course, was not going to happen. Now, one of them could, could have lost a game. Remember, Georgia opened against Oregon, which was a, a splattering, but at the time, the line was like in the teens. So Georgia 
They, of course, go undefeated. Their margins of victory, by the way, week one, two, three, four, were 46, 33, 41, and 17. That pesky Kent State team pushed Georgia a little bit in Athens, but otherwise, blowouts and bloodbaths. Now, Texas did take Alabama to the limit, but for this to come true, we needed both of them to lose, and neither of them lost games. Bama didn't lose until third week of October, and Georgia didn't lose at all. So they, they made it very, very academic there. Now, they're also very healthy at the beginning of the year. This is, not, this is not a wise way to spend your money on predictions. Next up, we, we, got, a little, we got a good old-fashioned half-and-half half for, for Joseph. Notre Dame, says Joseph, will lose at Ohio State. Check. That's the half-and-half half part. Unfortunately, the prediction continues. They're going to lose at Ohio State and then run the table to get in the playoff. It's that echo. Since we can't do it live, I sometimes add my own reverb. Uh, Notre Dame didn't make the playoff. Spoiler alert for those of you who recorded the end of the season and haven't watched it yet. Notre Dame does not make the playoff, but they did lose to Ohio State. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't watched any of the season. And I guess if you needed this prediction to start off the best way possible, you need them to lose competitively at Ohio State. Well, they did. They were competitive. They, they led kind of late. And then they didn't lead and they lost. The problem, friends, was Marshall waiting in the wings. And they lost to Marshall 26 to 21. And frankly, it wasn't as close as the final score indicated. Sometimes people say it's not even close, and it wasn't even close. This one kind of wasn't even close. And at that point, people went from asking whether Notre Dame can rebound and make the playoff to is Notre Dame going to make a bowl game? Well, they got it right. They finished 9-4, and four, so they got things right, and they finished 9-4. and four. But, yeah, this one wasn't going to happen. Now, here's what I will say for this prediction. If, it's a big if, if I could take that version of Notre Dame that we saw play Clemson and run for, what was it, Jesse? They ran for like 842 yards against Clemson. If I could take that and I could bottle it up and duplicate it times 10 or 11, Notre Dame would have been in the playoff. Yes, sir. But we could not do that. That was a that was a one time only for the old Irish this season. And so as a result, we got to settle for nine and four. But we we always have the Clemson game, don't we? Moving forward. Oh, this is a bad one. Frank, whose profile picture is a hot dog, mustard only, says Brian Kelly is overhyped. And LSU was nothing special last year. They won't be anything special this year. They won't even make a bowl game. Frank Hales from Conway, Arkansas. Well, it's a bad night in Conway. Because not only did LSU make a bowl game, they did so after winning the West, beating Alabama, and playing for the SEC championship. LSU was bowl eligible as of October 22nd, and that's with them losing in week one to LSU. They still punched their bowl eligibility ticket before Halloween. They were 9 and 3 on the season. They were 9 and 4 after Atlanta and they were 10 and 4 after doing some completely and utterly illegal things to Purdue in the bowl game. So this was a bad prediction. Here's the worst part of it all. I put a 6 on this on the boldness scale. And I don't really know why. I do know why. Because when I looked at LSU's schedule and we looked at the difficulty factor, 
there were it was going to be nip and tuck. I think the over under win total for them was either six or seven. So so this wasn't a wild prediction. It's just the way it turned out makes it look wild. So you know what? I have to defend us. Paper pop. Since I was kind of complicit in this, I have to defend us. I remember getting into it over on the Go 24-7 board, and, and actually some of the LSU fans kind of agreed with me, and it took me by surprise. And as it turns out, you guys should have drugged me because I was wrong. All right, uh, NC State, this one was a very interesting prediction. Listen to what Alex said. He said, NC State's going to be the real deal this year, and they will finish with the best record of all teams in both Carolinas. So, I asked producer Jesse, how many Power 5 teams are in the Carolinas? Can you name that off the top of your head, by the way? I'm going to give you seven seconds. There are six of them. And it is Clemson, North Carolina, NC State, South Carolina, Wake, and Duke. Yeah, that's six. Okay. Um, This didn't turn out well. NC State finished behind Clemson, Duke, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Now, here's the wild part. They didn't finish behind South Carolina. They actually had the same record and the same record as Wake. So you could either look at it as they tied for fourth or they were tied for last. Whatever makes you sleep better at night. I just want to tell you this. That's not. This is burying the lead, which inexplicably is spelled L-E-D-E. Whatever. Um... There was reason to believe in this because I think that there was... Jesse, wasn't it one Power 5 team that was returning quarterback, OC, DC, and head coach in the entire ACC and it was NC State? Only Carolina school. It sounded so much better. Fact checkers ruin everything. So, okay. In the Carolinas, there was only one team that was returning all of those pieces. They had Devin Leary at quarterback. We had watched him throw out at Elite 11 because, you know, some of the counselors are current players. And so, you know, we were feeling really good about NC State. Here's the, here's the prop bet. What if I told you that all six of them were going to win eight games or more? That's the wild part. Somebody's got to miss bowl eligibility. You got six of them over there. Someone's got to be the underachiever. And as, as it turns out, no, not really. Clemson wins the ACC, but even if you're last in the Carolinas, you're winning eight games. It's just amazing. NC State, it looked good on paper, man. They were going to be a dog at Clemson. They were going to be favored in the rest of their games, and it just, it did not work out. Oh, well. All right, we have a unique question coming up here. I don't know that, for for my money, I don't know that we've ever done a segment on this. So you know what? We're going to see how it goes, because a lot of you ask me about it, but I just never really, I never feel like doing it. I didn't miss ECU, Riley. I'm I'm in a rare move. I'm going to spar with people in the live chat. I said power five teams. That's what the prediction said. Power five teams in the Carolinas. So I didn't miss ECU. I think ECU may have the best midfield logo in all of college football. You, You can't. It's hard to go wrong with a pirate. ECU does a good job. Love the color scheme, but not power five. So... Let's, uh, let's wrap up with this question here that we got. And I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my old-fashioned best here. After a sip from the chalice. Dorian said, I never miss a show from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. What are your thoughts on the latest mock drafts? Now, what I do not do is put out a mock draft. But what I do do 
is I look at them right along with you guys, and I have some thoughts. So much so that, look, not only do we have a piece of paper that we can pop, but we also can pull off the extra rare post-it pop, because I have an unfortunate list of quarterbacks that I'm going to go down in just a second. Yeah, I've looked at some mock drafts, and I've, I've seen the Mel Kuypers of the world. I've seen what they've put out. Now, I'm not going to... Not gonna, you know, just rain hot takes all over it because let's be real, it's February. A lot of this is gonna change. But I'm seeing right now, of course, CJ Stroud or Bryce Young projected to be the number one overall quarterback taken. To me, that's just a matter of preference. Now, I will say you could you could convince me either way there. I think the size with Bryce Young is something that just is. He's listed at six foot. Jesse doesn't believe it. We have an ongoing prop bet in that department which I will win, not by much, but I will win. Uh, but if that's not a concern to you and you still lean Bryce Young for other reasons, I don't know, maybe you watched C.J. Stroud, who has the size advantage. Maybe you saw a facet of his game, that over-the-cliff, face-in-the-fan kind of facet that you didn't see a lot of. And I will understand that until you turn on the Georgia game. Because in that Georgia game, granted, it's a one-game sample size, but it was a big game. I thought he exhibited all that. Ironically, in a loss, but I thought he exhibited all that. So who, I don't, I don't even know. Really, I don't even know where I would lean right now. That's, that's why they pay me the big bucks, to sit here and tell you I don't know. But I really don't know. I, give, me, um, give me the second pick, and you can take whichever one you want, and I'll be happy to win with the backup. Anthony Richardson, though. Will Levis, though. Those are the ones that I find a little more interesting. Because this is when we delve into the dangerous world of projecting tools. Bryce Young's proven. C.J. Stroud's proven. Will Levis is not. Anthony Richardson absolutely is not. And yet you've got both of them being mocked in first rounds. In fact, widely mocked in first rounds. Mocked is, by the way, not a pejorative in this context. And I look at these mock drafts with Will Levis up there and Anthony Richardson up there. I understand what the Justin Herbert protocol is. I, I understand, for instance, that uh, Josh Allen exists. Guys that weren't in New York City front and center in Heisman Trophy ceremonies, but ended up having the tools that when properly utilized and leveraged at the next level, ended up shining. Yeah, I get all that. Here's what else I get. You can run yourself out of a job in that league looking for the next fill-in-the-blank. In that case, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. And I, I'm looking at Will Levis. I know the monster arm that Anthony Richardson has. But here's the problem. I sit there and watch the draft every year, and I have to hit mute sometimes because it's so nauseating to have watched these guys for four or five years and then have analysts who clearly have put like six weeks of research in trying to explain to me who they are as players. We know who Will Levis has been. There is nothing about Will Levis's college resume that screams first-round NFL draft pick, nor is there with Anthony Richardson. That doesn't mean they can't fulfill that potential. It just means it's unrealized potential. And if that's the case, if either of those guys are that, it means they have tools that haven't been fully utilized yet that some NFL franchise is going to utilize. You play that game, you may very well wind up with your Justin Herbert. But I'm looking at a list in front of me here. I just asked Jesse, go find me some first-round quarterbacks that didn't pan out. And, buddy, I have front and back of this post-it, and he could have kept going. Josh Rosen, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Brandon Whedon is on here. 
as is EJ Manuel, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, Paxton Lynch I'd forgotten about, as has most of the league, Mitch Trubisky. So, yeah, I sat there on first-round selection night, and I listened to someone sell me on every one of those guys having the tools. They got the tools. That Might I suggest to you it takes a little bit more than that? Might I suggest to you those are starting points, and there are some things between the tools and the field that it's just, man, it's a crapshoot. Even with all the knowledge at your disposal, it's a crapshoot. So, yeah, if we were talking about second or third round selections, yeah, that'd be different. They're being mocked in first rounds. Jackson Smith and Jigba, however, according to some mock drafts I looked at today, maybe not a top 10 selection. And I just want to tell you, I think it's a mistake. I don't think there are 10 better players in the draft. I know that's not how the draft works. So allow me for just a second to ask you a question. If you don't have Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver from Ohio State, if you don't have him mocked in the first 10 picks, and you tell me, well, it's just the way the order is set up. I just don't think enough teams who need a receiver are drafting in the top 10. Okay, that's fine. But I don't think everyone fits that description. I think some people just don't have him in the top 10 because they have other concerns, maybe mild, but concerns. Those are the ones I want to talk to. Is it the injury? Is that what it is? Or were you rubbed the wrong way a little bit by those rumors out there? Great album. Dirty in the college football world, though. Were you rubbed the wrong way by the rumors that he could have come back if he wanted to, played at some point this year, but he sandbagged it and he sat out. I think those have kind of been debunked, but once they're said, you can't get them back. Nevertheless, because we've had kids do that before, by the way. They called it, they called it sitting out for COVID-related reasons. Two years ago, there were a lot of kids who could have played and didn't and ended up being drafted. Some of them went on to be fine. Some of them didn't. Pretty much the normal bust rate. Is that what you're a little bit lower on JSN for? I would caution against it. I would really caution against it. If you want to doubt his top-end speed, do that. To which I would advise you to look at the route running, by the way, which is he, he shouldn't be that polished to have had the relatively limited college experience that he has. I think he's going to be a really, really good player for a long time. So if Pate State had a pro franchise, I'd be looking at him as one of my top 10. Also, a couple of other guys. I saw some of them in mock drafts in the top round, and I saw some not. Brian Brzee at Clemson, very interesting case study, as is Brian Branch from Alabama. Brzee, you'll remember five-star out of high school, one of the more impressive guys that I know the, the scouting department had looked at in several years, and he had injury this past year. When he's played, he's been dominant, but he had injury this past year, had a lot of personal issues off the field, not trouble issues, you know, like death in the family issues off the field. So I know that there was a mixed response when he declared for the draft. I wasn't surprised he declared for the draft. I thought he proved pretty much what he needed to prove at the college level. It, it certainly is true. There is some merit to the idea that had he come back and played a fully healthy season, he would have locked himself into top 15 status. So I could have seen it go either way. I thought he was going to declare, though, and he did. And I'm, I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't end up working his way into everyone's first round by the time the draft is here. Brian Branch, some people have him like late first round, early second round. He's a safety from Alabama. There were some underwhelming parts of Alabama's defense this year. Branch was not one of them. 
And I know that he projects as a corner for some teams out there. He's multifaceted, can play several different positions, and very, very smart. He's he's a guy who will probably transition pretty well, too. So, Brazilian Branch, I think by the time draft night arrives, I expect to see both of them in pretty much every one of those first-round mock drafts. Uh, really, really interesting, wide variety of content on the show tonight. Okay, one more reminder. Two things. Like the video in no uncertain terms. Not even asking. Just It's just a demand. Like the video. But thank you for doing it. And other thing that I need you to remember is Late Kick Extra Podcast, back by popular demand this Tuesday. Now, I don't know how long we're going to go. Could be 30 minutes, could be two hours, but we will be back. The only way to get that is in podcast form. And by that, I mean Apple Podcasts. It could be in Google Play. It could be in Spotify. You choose where you want to listen, but listen is what you're going to have to do. Theater of the Mind is back and back in, back in a big way. I will put out on Instagram and Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. I will put out the call to actions probably sometime tomorrow. Give me your questions, and I'll roll through like sometimes we get to 20 of them in a show. I prefer it be college football related. doesn't have to be. We kind of have a, a healthy mixed bag of all sorts of questions. So with that in mind, let's go get started on having another great week, shall we? For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening and start to your week in God bless.